The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns, one for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my little friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. Michael Dinshaw. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. Oh, yeah, baby. Firearms Friday, your chance to sound off on issues of a, to a nature right here on the Michael Duke Show. Good morning and welcome to the program. It is that one day a week that we dedicate to discussions of, uh, of a gun-like nature, talking about the Second Amendment and gun rights and laws and discussions and history and, well, just think about, just just picture me laying on a couch with my head on a pillow, my feet up, and me just talking about my feelings. That's what it's about today. It is that uh, my weekly therapy session, the uh, almost two hours of discussions surrounding the Second Amendment and, uh, you know, uh, the importance of it to America, to us as a nation, to our freedom, and so much more. So thank you for coming in and joining us today. Uh, Jam-packed show today. Jam-packed. We're going to be diving in and talking with uh, uh, some good guests today. Starting off here in hour one, in fact, in just a few moments, we're going to be picking it up with Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine. Now, Jacob writes about a he writes about a lot of different topics, but um, one of his one of his main and favorite topics is uh, firearms and gun control and all of those different things. He has a uh, he's got a, a really good handle on things that are going on across the country from a more libertarian viewpoint and I love to talk to him about it uh, it's been um, it's been about a month and a half since we've had him on the program so looking forward to hearing from him this morning today we're going to talk about the false promise of universal background checks um, he's got an article that he wrote just a couple days ago specifically in response to the shooting that took place in Allen, Texas at a shopping mall last Saturday. I mean, it just seems like, I mean, is it me? <clears throat> or does it seem like there's been a lot of kind of copycat things going on lately? Kind of an acceleration of some of these high visibility mass shootings. Uh, again, my, you know, part of the problem with this is the fact that more and more, the news media is giving <clears throat> infamy to many of these people. And so we're starting to see that kind of, uh, you know, kind of copycat mentality and things like that. But overall, uh, historically, the number of uh, homicides with firearms continues to be some of the lowest that we've seen in 30 years. I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't appear that way 
if all you did was watch a slice of the news, you know, if all you did was pay attention to Fox or CNN or whatever news outlet you watch, because uh, there you would think that, my God, we're all going to die. Don't leave your house because it's going to be dangerous. But statistically, it's uh, it's safer now than it was in the 90s uh, and definitely in the, in the 70s and the 80s because those numbers have continued to decline. But that's not the that's not the messaging that uh, those on the left and uh, in the mainstream media really want you to see. And in fact, even some Republicans now we're going to talk a little bit about that today because uh, some of the Republicans are starting to crack on this kind of stuff as well in uh, Tennessee and in Texas, of all places. We're starting to see some of that as well. So we'll uh, <clears throat> we'll talk about all that with uh, Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine here in just about uh, 10, 15 minutes. Then in hour two of the program, we'll be talking with top shot Chris Chang, who, of course, is uh, the champion from season four of Top Shot on the History Channel. He's going to come on board and we'll talk with him about some of the headlines and what he's doing as both a uh, as both a uh, um, spokesperson for the National Sports Shooting uh, Shooting Sports Foundation and as the uh, one of the founders of the Asian American uh, Asian and Pacific American Gun Owners uh, Association founders as well. So he's he's he wears a lot of hats. He wears a lot of hats. We're going to talk about that. Um, meanwhile, <clears throat> we'll, um, I think we, we should go and start talking about some of the headlines and some of the things that are some of the good news, some of the not so good news and, um, uh, kind of a overall discussion on all this. I was just talking about Republicans cracking, uh, because historically you'd be like, oh, Republicans are not pro gun control. It's all Democrats. But we have seen where, uh, again, if I if I haven't made my philosophy clear to many of you, let me clear the air for just a second. They're both part of the problem. Republicans, Democrats, they're both part of the problem. Not all, not not every politician, either, I mean, either a Democrat or Republican, they're not all. But for the most part, in the main, they're both part of the problem. And we can point to many different aspects of this, all right? We can talk about, well, I mean, the Democratic side, it's very obvious who's for gun control, so I'm not even going to talk about them. Let's just skip over to the Republicans, who are the supposed saviors of the country, right? According to, I'm sure, many of the listeners to this show and many who, you know, who would consider themselves to be right-leaning in this, you know, in this listener group, you know, in the chat room or listening right now on the radio, but I can just hit you some highlights. You want you want to just hit some highlights, going all the way back to the to Saint Reagan, okay, Ronald Reagan, who again I I mean I think Reagan was pretty good president overall. Don't get me wrong, but he also signed the Firearms Owner Protection Act in 1986, which has done more damage to gun ownership, especially those of us who are. Enthusiasts of military-style rifles and and uh, machine guns and some of the other things, he did more damage with that one bill than probably any other Republican president in history. I mean, I'm just going to say that. Then you had George W. Bush who said 
when the assault weapons ban was going to sunset in 2004, well, <clears throat> if you bring it to my desk, I'll sign it. Right? Congress, thank God Congress couldn't get their act together and get something going on and they didn't, oh no, they're going to do, oh no. And then, of course, most recently, President Donald Trump, who said after the Parkland shooting that we'll just take the guns and we'll worry about due process later. He was talking about instituting some kind of national red flag law where they just came and took the guns and worried about due process later. I mean, that's just a slice, folks. I mean, just because they wear the elephant on their lapel or they, you know, go to a GOP rally does not mean that they are the answer. You've got to think beyond the party, you know, policies or the personality, uh, you know, whatever it is. There have been plenty of instances where Republicans have either blinked or they are <clears throat> directly the cause of the problem. So do not just blindly jump into the fray with these guys and be like, oh, they're going to save us. They're going to be the ones. No. No, they're not. And here's yet another example. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee, a Republican who just recently signed a constitutional carry bill in his state. Yay! Right? Good guy. Good guy. Well, now he is sticking to his plan to call a special legislative session specifically on gun control. He's asked lawmakers to pass a bill allowing judges to take away guns from people who the judge thinks pose an imminent threat to themselves. Now, he shies away from calling his plan a red flag law, which he calls a toxic political label. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure Tennessee, like many other states, has involuntary commitment laws. I'm sure Tennessee has other laws that, I mean, this is just, an, you know, another prime example of that. Then in Texas, you have two Republicans in the Texas legislative uh, legislature who have broke ranks with other Republicans to advance, to advance a bill that would raise the purchase age for semi-automatic rifles from 18 to 21. Why? Why, why would you? Why? Well, it's either virtue signaling on their part to try and pick up some of those crossover moderate votes or whatever, or they just believe that this is important. Now, interestingly enough... At the same time that that's going on, there are other places in the country, and in fact, a federal judge in Virginia just said the bans on guns, specifically handguns in that case, to under 21s is unconstitutional. And that's not the first time. But here are the Texas Republicans saying, well, you know, we should not be selling semi-automatic rifles to anyone who's 18. Now, you can draft them. You could treat them as adult. You can charge them as an adult. If there's a crime, you could do all these other things at 18. But boy, you can't you can't trust them with a gun. This is the Republicans. So <clears throat> th this is going on around the country. Now, there is some good news. There are some other in Texas, for example, Greg Abbott is in opposition to the bill and it's not likely to go anywhere. Lee in Tennessee is facing a lot of resistance from the Republicans in the Tennessee legislature on that. But, you know, those folks are not helping. 
they're not helping. And a lot of times they're facing tremendous scrutiny from the legislature or from, excuse me, from the uh, from the media and from these anti-gun who get very vocal and are very good about, you know, getting groups together and kumbaya and, you know, putting protests together and everything. But just don't think just because they've got an elephant on the lapel that they're there to help you. Period. Uh, I will mention before we go to break that, yes, there is some more good news. That federal judge in Virginia says the ban on handgun sales to people who are under 21 is unconstitutional. And there were some interesting arguments in this, including the fact, uh, first of all, he decided that, you know, acknowledge that common sense tells us that, uh, that, you know, the, the Second Amendment covers all this. And most of this was covered by Heller. But interestingly enough, one of the arguments that the government used in this case, the U.S. government, that the judge was like was disturbed by, was the fact that the government uh, uh, made the contention that under 21s aren't part of the people who possess Second Amendment rights. The judge said that was not just a silly argument, but downright dangerous and said that taking uh, taken to its logical extent, the government's argument would remove Second Amendment protections from vast swaths of the American population. So under 21s aren't part of the people, but boy, they can be drafted and put in the military and told what to do. So what are they if they're not the people? That was the argument from the U.S. government, that under 21s were not part of the people. We the people. While at the same time, they're allowing kids as young as eight to decide what gender they are and everything. I mean, I just, come on, seriously. How, how, how damaged can you be? All right, we got to go. Uh, we're coming up. Jacob Selim is going to be joining us here in a few minutes. We're going to be back. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll be back in just a moment with Jacob Sellum from Reason Magazine to talk about universal background checks. We'll be back right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Let me... Let me send a text message here just to make sure everybody's all squared away. Okay. Uh, Your email. Okay. There we go. Um, I'd like to know. This is Randy. I'd like to know specifically where President Trump ever expressed support for a national red flag law. Well, Randy, this was shortly after the Parkland shooting, and he was sitting at a press conference in the White House. Uh, I don't know, one of the White House groups. He had the police chiefs of Parkland and others at the table. The cameras were rolling, 
And the police chief had talked about, we need to find a way to get the guns out of these you know crazy people's hands, essentially. And President Trump said right there in front of the camera, you know, what we need to do is just take the guns and we'll worry about due process later, because that was one of the, the concerns that was brought up as, you know, red flag laws and due process. And he literally said that. Uh, I actually played the clip back when it happened. I may still have it somewhere. I have to go back and dig it up. But you can do your own research, Randy. It's there. It was right after the Parkland shooting when he was in a in a press conference with the police chief of the, um, I can't remember what the city's name where Parkland School was. Anyway, that's when he said it, right there. Um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. All right. Going through here. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, let's see. Each state has their own on gauze on guns, but the loopholes in the laws are not being addressed. Both parties in all states, uh, both parties in all states opt to not change them. But there's a whole discussion that we could have this morning about why Democrats continue to push for gun control, even though they're not currently enforcing any of the laws that are currently on the books that they fought for to begin with. I mean, that's really what it's, what it's all about. All right. Yeah. You ever start one project, then suddenly you're responsible for three more. He sure wants his due process. Yeah. He sure wants his due process. It's Andy talking about Trump. I mean, he wanted his due process, but you know, the knee-jerk reaction. This is the problem with politicians similar to Trump is that, again, he's a populist and he wants to do what the majority of people in the room does. It's like trying to rule by poll. And he knew that the tone in the broom right then was, boy, we really want to make sure we don't have another shooting. And so then he's like, well, we'll just take the guns and worry about due process later. And then two months later, you're standing in front of the, I don't know, the NRA or something. And you're like, guns forever. That's the problem with people like that. They're vacillate. They're wishy-washy. He tells you what you want to hear. That's part of the problem. Um, does that fall under other duties as assigned? Well, that's a good question, Jeffrey. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I see Mr. Sullivan. A wandering solemn has entered the green room. It's, you know, like one of those things when you were a kid playing video games. What? You never played video games? You're dead to me. But that's what it is. A wandering solemn has entered the chat room. Let's go over there and see what uh, what he has to say this morning as, as folks. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing good. Is uh, my mic working? Your mic is working. Yeah. You, you sound good. You sound, excellent. You sound excellent. All right, it's good. all good. Uh, you ready to go? You just, uh, you had your coffee. You're all, I mean, you're hours ahead of me, so you've got to be ready. Today's the day, right? I hope I'm ready. Okay. He's not nearly as excited as I am. I mean, it's Friday for me, so I'm, it's, you know, but it's good. Uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about this. So we're going to hit it with Jacob here in just a second. <laughs> Oh, hold the line. That means we got to jump back onto the radio. All right, so here we go. Folks, please like and share. Like and follow the show page. Ring the bell on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. Do all the internet things that you need to do. And, of course, tell all your friends and relatives about everything that's going on here. And bring them onto the show every morning from 6 to 8 a.m. 
Uh, let's do this thing. Jacob Selim, our guest. The Michael Duke Show and Firearms Friday continues uh, right now. Here we go. What the hell is an assault weapon? You know, if we could just figure out how to get all of the murder guns and the attack guns and not keep selling those to people and just sell protection guns, I think that would be great and solve a lot of problems. Does this mean that if we hurt your feelings, you'd consider The Michael Dukes Show Assault Radio? (laughs) Okay, we can live with that. Here's Michael Dukes. That's right. I have no murder guns at all. They're all protection guns. I made sure to read the label before I purchased them. They all said protection guns. No murder guns for me. All right. It is Firearms Friday, your chance to sound off on issues of a two-way nature. Today, we're talking with Jacob Sullum, uh, who is an editor over there at Reason Magazine. Uh, He has done a, a whole bunch of writing on a variety of topics, but one of my favorite things that I follow him for is his hot take on issues surrounding gun control. His most recent article is a discussion about the falsity or the, the I guess, the chicanery of universal background checks, especially in regards to things like this most recent shooting in Texas last Saturday in Allen, Texas. Uh, but we're going to get his take. He's on the line with us right now, and we say, good morning, sir. How are you doing on this fine Friday morning? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing doing good. Cannot complain. Every day, every Friday is like a vacation for me. I just love the, I love to sit down and get a chance to talk about my favorite topic. So we were just kind of discussing this stuff, and, you know, there's many laws and rules and everything else, and the Democrats have always got a plethora of things. Well, not just Democrats, Republicans in some cases as well, have got this plethora of ideas that this is what will save it. And universal gun control, uh, universal uh, background checks is usually one of the first things on the list. Uh, and yet we find that in the most instances, this really doesn't matter. And your article basically starts at that premise. Why don't you walk us through it? Sure. I mean, the, the basic problem uh, when you're talking about mass shootings is that most of the people who commit these crimes do not have disqualifying records. So very often they have passed background checks. Even when they haven't actually passed background checks, they could have. Uh, You will often hear that these weapons were legally purchased, which means that they were not prohibited from owning guns. Um, And there are a couple of relevant studies. One of them was done by the National Institute of Justice, and they looked at um, uh, mass public shootings from, I believe it was the 60s through 2019, and they found that there were just 13% of the cases involved guns that were purchased illegally. Right. Um, There was another uh, another report from Statista, which is based... uh, uh, mainly on FBI data, I think, and they looked at a, sli- at a somewhat different period, starting later, ending later, um, but they had reached similar results. They found that maybe 15% of uh, these mass shootings uh, involved uh, killers who had purchased guns illegally. Now, it's not clear, by the way, what that means, purchased illegally, because that could, in addition to being a prohibited person, that could be, that could mean the gun was illegal. Um, uh, that it perhaps was banned by an assault weapon law or something like that. But let's assume that all of them were actually prohibited persons. So that means that really you're only talking about a small 
share of cases where background checks even theoretically could make a difference. And then you have to ask, uh, will that do it? You know, so for the people who are prohibited uh, from from buying guns, um, if you say um, this requirement for background checks applies not just to sales by federally licensed dealers, but also any transfer of guns, including private transfers, um, first of all, you know, will that you know will that stop people? <laughs> right. You know, how many right, cases right. will that stop them? And 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 I guess second of all, on a related point, how likely are people to follow that rule? Well, we do have some evidence on that. Uh, there was a study published in 2018 that asked what happens after states start requiring so-called universal background checks. And what you would expect to see is that the number of background checks that are run in that state would go up, right? Because suddenly all of the, <laughs> the private transfers are now covered by that requirement. Um, and there was um, a modest increase in one state in Delaware but there was no increase uh, in Washington or Colorado. Right. Um, so what that suggests is that uh, people are widely ignoring this requirement. Massive noncompliance, right. Right, and they don't have to have you know bad motives for that. You can understand why somebody would not have to, would not wanna go to the trouble and the expense of going through a licensed dealer, which is what you have to do if you wanna get the background check conducted. You basically have to enlist a, a licensed dealer to complete the transaction. And people might reasonably think this is my property. I'd like to sell it to a willing you know, buyer. Why should I have to uh, through these hoops and, and, and go to the, the trouble and expense of, of uh, you know, uh, getting a, a licensed dealer involved? So and that seems to be what typically happens, judging from 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 these numbers. Right. Um, so so uh, it does not look like it's very effective in terms of actually increasing the number of background checks. And then you have, keep in mind that in any case, these would only affect a small minority of mass shooters. Uh, and there's another category I guess I should mention is in addition to people um, uh, who are you know legally allowed to own guns, you have some people who are not legally allowed to own guns perhaps, or might be underage. And what you've, you find uh, in particular with school shootings is that I think it was the NIJ said it was over 80% of, of uh, those guns were stolen from family members, right? right? So, that, so a background check does not address that situation either. Obviously, you could talk about other, other precautions and other policies that might, right. but background checks have nothing to do with it. Well, uh, yeah, because then you start to get into issues like uh, safe storage policies and a lot of these other things. But as the shooter in Newtown, Connecticut proves, I mean, he killed his mom. He, she had, you know, she had a gun safe. He knew how to get into it. She had the secure storage. He then took the gun and went out and perpetrated the crime. There was really nothing that was going to stand in this, this kid's way of, of doing that kind of stuff. And ironically, when these kind of things happen, it's like universal background check is almost the first thing that rolls off these people's lips. And yet historically, I think, what did you say in the article? Something like 70 plus 70 plus percent could have, or did purchase the weapons Legally, just they were they were not prohibited persons. They could have passed and filled out the 4473 and had it sent in and gotten the nod and everything would have been fine. Um, and even when even sometimes when it happens, we see failures in the system. They keep touting that if we just had this, if we just had this, we could stop it. And yet, for example, the Sutherland Springs shooter in Texas, 
he was should have been marked as a prohibited person because he had a dishonorable discharge. And yet the government failed to file and put the proper information in the DOD, didn't send it to the Knicks people. So he still was able to get a gun when he shouldn't have been able to. So this is not the panacea, the silver bullet, not to be too punny, but it's not the the, the thing that is going to make everything better. Yeah, I mean, imme- immediately after the attack um, in Allen, which is, by the way, not, not far from where we live, uh, the shopping mall in Allen, um, you saw a series of news reports, all of them noting, oh, yeah, and, you know, in Texas, you don't have to do a background check for private sales, which is absolutely true, but not relevant. Why? <laughs> because the, the perpetrator in this case, um, according to CBS News, he had no serious criminal record. Um, according to CNN, he purchased his guns legally, which means he was not a prohibited person. You need further evidence. From 2016 to 2020, he was licensed as an armed guard. So he had armed security. So not only did he, does that mean that he was legally allowed to own a gun, as you might expect, but you actually, the criteria for that are stricter than they are for a gun buyer. Right. It's a deeper background check. Yeah. Yeah. And there are things that can disqualify you from being an armed security guard that would not necessarily disqualify you from buying a gun. So, um, and and then people, a couple of people have brought up, oh, but he was, you know, he washed out from uh, military training after a few months uh, for, because of an unspecified mental health issue. That is not enough to disqualify you from owning a gun under federal law. Now, in terms of, of leaving the military, if you are dishonorably discharged, that will disqualify you. It right. It's not. Right. Um, and in terms of, of a mental health history, if you uh, undergo court ordered treatment, you know, by, by the way, whether whether it's because they think you're suicidal or whether it's because they think you're a threat to others, typically it's that they think you're suicidal. That's that will disqualify you. We can talk about whether that that policy makes sense for the rest of your life. That will disqualify you if you right. ever, ever treated, say, say, for suicidal impulses uh, uh, based on a court order. But he did not have a record like that. It's clear he didn't have a record for like that because he he was uh, he purchased his guns legally, according to CNN. Um, and also he was allowed to be an armed security guard. Uh, right. So he clearly right. did not have a record like that. Um, so so people will bring up uh, immediately bring up Texas's supposedly lax gun laws as if that's an explanation. And then when you finally get the details, it turns out, no, that's not actually relevant at all. Um, and President Biden, uh, very, very soon after th- that attack, said, well, you know, this only underlines the need for universal background checks. And no, it did not. <laughs> it does not underline the need because it makes no sense. It's totally right. it's a non sequitur. Um, so, uh, you know, you can you can try to honestly talk about what background checks accomplish now, what expanding them, assuming that's possible, assuming people comply, might accomplish. But it, it has very little to do with mass shootings. It has very little to do with ordinary crime either, because if you look at the sources of guns for your average criminal, they're typically not going into a, a gun dealer and buying them. And they're typically not buying them from people who are going to follow a rule like this. <laughs> right, right. So, right. So they may be, they may be, well, look, there are stolen guns. That's a certain percentage. There's the informal market of various kinds. They might get it from a, a, a relative an acquaintance, a friend, right. buy, it, buy it on the black market. Right. None of these, none of these sources are going to to suddenly decide. Oh, now I'm going to file the, follow the law because 
the state or the federal government said, I have to do a background check. It's already illegal for them to be selling uh, those guns to people if they know they're disqualified. So typically this would be a felony record. So right. uh, now if you know that, it's already illegal for you to do that, whether there's a background check or not. Um, and, and it seems uh, doubtful that, that adding another requirement will suddenly stop those sales. Right. I mean, look, you not to, let alone the, the black market and the gray market and straw purchases, all of those things will sub uh, will, uh, you know, subvert and and bypass any kind of universal background check. And I got we get just a couple minutes before we go to break. And I want to delve down deeper into one part, which was your, your commentary, which you've mentioned in passing here, the fact that there are some states that have that require universal background checks between private sales. And there has just been a basically just a mass non-compliance with that. Um, we've seen the same thing with uh, some of the assault weapons ban in Connecticut and New York, a mass non-compliance with those with those laws, simply because I think most Americans have been like, it's enough is enough. Like you said, it's my private property. I'll do my, I'll, I don't want to increase the price. I don't want to, you know, lose a quarter of a sale on a $500 handgun having to go down and go through a dealer doesn't make sense. I know who it is or it's a friend or it's an acquaintance or what, you know, and, and it, 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 that's exactly what's going to happen with some of these laws is that there's just going to be mass noncompliance and that they don't seem to, they don't seem to get that. The politicians just don't seem to get that. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and of course you're dealing by definition, you're dealing with sales. The government doesn't know about, they're not recorded. They're not, you're generally not conspicuous. Look at a gun show. Right. You can you could enforce this. Right. There's a sure if it's if, sure if it's a big because lots of you know weapons changing hands. But generally speaking, how are they going to enforce it? I mean, I, I, I don't even want to make any suggestions about how they might do that. <laughs> right. right. You don't know. You don't know who owns guns. You don't know what guns they own. You don't know when they're transferred. So so uh, people people in thinking about this, contemplating the extra expense and inconvenience uh, and, and weighing that against the risk they're going to be caught. The risk they're going to be caught is very low. Right, exactly. You're not wandering around on a street corner holding up your 45 saying for sale, for sale, for sale. You know, it's usually again the friend of a friend of a friend who knew that they needed it were looking for a gun and I know a guy who might want to sell one kind of thing. So yeah, it's it's a very quiet quiet thing. Um all right, well we're going to take a quick break. Uh when we come back, Jacob, we could finish up on this, but I also want to talk about your article from about a week ago which is the uh the vulnerability of the assault weapons ban and how the injunction in Illinois and the Bruin decision is going to spell, I think, the ultimately the doom of these kind of things. So we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere, folks. We're talking with Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine. We will continue with him here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Uh, back with more right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. I got to say, I like the stash. I see you got the little getting started to get the little curls on the stash out there on the side. It's looking good. It's looking good. Yeah, for some reason, the, the mustache continues in a darker color. 
I don't yeah, know. I oh, didn't do that on purpose. I, I got to say, man, I look back at a picture that was like nine years ago and my beard was like, it looked like a pit bull. It was like brown and white. And it just one day it just all went kind of white gray. So, you know, it, it'll, it'll happen. It'll come through when it comes through, I guess, when it's all the right, the right way. Um, yeah. I mean, and your style, by the way, I don't know if we, we discussed this before, but I think we might have actually, but the CDC during the pandemic, they issued a guide to which kind of, of facial hair were compatible with proper masking. Uh-huh. Did you see that? Oh, I didn't and, see that. Okay. Oh, your, yours would be right out. Oh because, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. There's no, no way. There's I, no way you're properly wearing a mask with that. Um, but they they talked about specific kinds of mustaches, even. Oh. So even without your big beard, I think your mustache would be disqualifying. Uh, yeah, disqualified because it's it's such. So they say, you know, for so like I, I don't know if you have it. Is that a? Would you describe that? How would you describe your mustache? It's a. It's like your a, name it's, is it's like a handlebar. I mean, it's or whatever. Handlebar, yeah. Handlebar yeah. is right yeah. out. Dolly style is yeah. out. Um, uh, I think the Garibaldi beard, if I'm remembering, that was okay. Um, the wet noodle, the wet no noodle wet, was no, no okay, w- no, right. no, because it extends and it would, it, you know, it was with too far, yeah, yeah. Well, I had to laugh because I, what I did Hitler have to, mustache they didn't mention, but yeah, that would be okay. I'm sure, that would, would be I'm sure that would be fine, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that would the little racing strip, I'm sure that would be fine. Yeah. It was funny because anytime I would wear a mask, you know, you'd have half the beard sticking out. But either my barber hated it because he's like, it took like four, four, five months after they stopped the mask mandates in my community that uh, I I had a permanent crease in my beard from where the mask was. <laughs> so we literally had to shave a bunch of it off and try and train it back out. But yeah, no, it's it's crazy. It's uh, you know, I'm not I'm not shaving my beard for nothing as far as that goes, but. Um, I really appreciate you kind of covering these things, uh, Jacob, because, you know, it, it, it infuriates me in almost every instance. Now, again, statistically, we're still seeing a lower rate of death or violent death from firearms than we've had. I mean, we're still on a trajectory, even though we had a bump up in 2020. And but I mean, still on a on a 30 or 40 year graph, you know, you could still see we're down at the bottom. But boy, every time something happens, the news media, I mean, you think we were, it was too dangerous to leave our house at some point. And yet some talking head or some politician gets up there and starts spouting off about, you know, universal background checks and magazine capacities and, you know, IDs for buying ammo and all these other things, almost all of which would not affect the issue of the day or the story of the day or the attack that just happened. But that it doesn't stop them from beating the drum on these things that have proven to be or would have been, according to the facts, absolutely useless. Yeah, and, there's, and it's uh, it's a bait and switch in several ways. I mean, it's uh, in terms of the policy saying this thing happened. Now that's why that's why we should pass this policy that actually has nothing to do with that particular case. That happens quite frequently. But also, mass shootings are a tiny, tiny percentage of all. Uh, gun homicides. So if your real concern is gun, ho- focusing on mass shootings, even, I mean, it's understandably, they get a lot of attention, but focusing on mass shootings is very misleading because they account for such a small share of these deaths. Um, and the policies, uh, you know, that, that address one may not be appropriate for addressing the other. Um, and, uh, and like you said, historically, you know, compared, certainly compared to uh, before, the you know, the early 90s when when uh 
when uh, the homicide rate started going down, we're, it, the homicide rate's still low despite recent, the recent uptick. Um, that's the first thing. And most of the deaths that they talk about from guns are, are actually suicides. That's a whole other thing, right? right, right, right. <laughs> Not even talking about you know mass shootings versus um, uh, ordinary homicides um, is one distinction, but another one is obvi- obviously the the things you might do to try to prevent suicide are very different from from the things that you might do uh, to prevent um, homicides. Um, yeah, so it's now they politicians may say, I understand that, but this is you know it's the mass shooting that grabs people's attention. And while I have their attention, I would like to push the policies I was pushing all along, <laughs> right, which, right, which right. maybe you know maybe they sincerely believe would make a difference. Right. But that, but but it's it's very misleading because they're not really making a logical argument. They're not saying the problem is you know gun homicides generally. Here's why I think this particular policy will help you know reduce those. Right. Right. Um, uh, they don't even uh, usually make that connection or even try to make that connection. Yeah. No, it's very it's very very frustrating, but I guess in the in the long run or in the mean we are we are winning in some ways and we're going to talk about that next uh with this article that you wrote last week about the assault weapons ban and the challenges that they're seeing now especially in light of Brune and other decisions that are uh that are coming out and expected to come out here in the future. So, let's jump back into it. Jacob Sullivan, our guest Reason Magazine, The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio. Like it, share, let's go. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. <laughs> Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. That's right. Not your daddy. I don't even play him on TV. I got five kids. I don't need any more. That's I'm not your doc, but this is not your daddy's talk radio. We talk about things that uh, well that I want to talk about. It may make you uncomfortable sometimes. You may agree. You may disagree. But that's what it's all about. The answer to speech you don't agree with is more speech. Joining us on the line right now uh, via a secret video conferencing top secret stuff. Uh, Jacob Selim, senior editor, Reason Magazine. He joins us. We just finished talking about. Uh, the uh, recent uh, shooting in Allen, uh, Texas, and how it's prompted a call for more universal background checks and kind of the falsehood of that promise. But let's move over to an article that uh, he put up about a week ago talking about uh, the assault weapons bans, because that's been the soup du jour. Uh, I mean, they've been wanting to push that. And since the federal government wouldn't push it, there's been a lot of states that have been like, fine, we'll do our own. And then, of course, you know, that runs right up against the Bruin decision and everything else, which basically said uh, you can't do that. Uh, They actually declared uh, 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 some of the uh, different uh, assault weapons laws unconstitutional when they decided Bruin. And yet more players are coming on board with new ones that are very similar. Uh, This new Illinois assault weapons ban may be the signal of the demise of the long running public policy fraud, says Jacob. Give us the rundown. Yeah, I mean, so basically the, the, the change that Bruin made uh, that was important, well, it's basically two changes. One was uh, they said you can't do this uh, two-step uh, analysis uh, where you first say, you know, is this does this law affect something covered by the Second Amendment? 
And then you say, okay, given that it does, um, what are the benefits of this law versus the, you know, the, the limits it imposes on people or the burdens it imposes on people, which one, you know, let's weigh them, <laughs> see, which it right, comes out right. ahead. That's, that's the sort of analysis that courts had typically applied in upholding, um, you know, assault weapon laws right. in, they, the, in the past. They, they called it, um, they called it interest balancing, right? So your interest right. in having a second amendment, right. Versus the public's interest in being safe, kind of the, that was always kind of the balance, right? And so the, so the Supreme court said in Bruin, cut that out. Um, and it should just be <laughs> one, one test. And the right. test is as follows. Is this law that's been challenged consistent with the historical tradition of firearm regulation in the United States. Why that test? Because if you look at what historically has been done, especially if it was done around the time of the ratification of the Second Amendment and the ratification of the 14th Amendment, which made the Second Amendment applicable to the states, um, and if, if this is a widespread practice at that time, we can infer that it was thought to be consistent with the rights uh, protected by the Second Amendment. That's the general idea. Now, obviously, you there are arguments about um, what makes you know a historical precedents uh, common enough or relevantly similar, right? And you're seeing that play out now, um, you know, since Bruin. But in the case of uh, assault weapon laws, um, it is first of all uh, uh, clear that these guns are in common use for lawful purposes, and the Supreme Court, going way back to Heller, said the you know weapons that are in common use for lawful purposes are covered by the second amendment so it's not like you can pretend the second amendment doesn't apply um and then you have to ask is you know are there historical precedents where um uh let either state legislatures or congress was more likely state legislatures um or even colonial legislators just banned entire categories of weapons like that Right. Um, or or is there anything that's similar? Right. And so it's very hard for the government to come up. You mentioned, you know, Illinois just passed a ban. Uh, Washington passed a ban um, three days after Washington passed its ban. Um, a federal judge in Illinois said that state's ban. Uh, he blocked he temporarily blocked it and said it's probably inconsistent with the Second Amendment because uh, the government really can't come up with any examples that are close enough i mean uh to, to to you know banning entire categories based on these, these broad criteria um and that and that really uh, it's very hard to dispute that these guns are in common use for lawful purposes i mean um you know you've got many millions of them in circulation uh, millions of americans who either have owned them or do own them you ask them there was a big a big survey of gun owners recently where they said you know have you owned guns of this sort, basically rifles that would be covered by these laws. And a bunch of people said they had and asked them, well, what do you use them for? You know, is it mass murder? Do you, is that, right, what, right, is right. that what you use these guns? For? And you know, none of them said they use them for mass murder. They said they use them for target shooting. Some said they use them for hunting, some, you know, competitive shooting. And a bunch of them said self-defense, self-defense in the home, sometimes self-defense out, out, outside of the home. Um, and so there you have it, you know, right, in, right. in, in wide use, these are very popular rifles. Um, they're in wide use yeah. for lawful purposes. Right. So I don't know, I don't know how a state can get around that. And then I don't know once that's been established, how they can show that what typically what they try to say is that, well, these are dangerous and unusual right. weapons. Well, that, 
is a cat that's a category that the Supreme Court has blessed as an exception, but they have to be dangerous. I mean, you know, any gun is dangerous, right? Right, so, right. So, but dangerous and unusual. And what that, by dangerous, we, we assume it means unusually dangerous in some way, but not just that, also unusual. Unusual. Really not unusual. Right. So I don't know how you get around that. Yeah, 24 million ARs in the country, AR style rifles in the country. 24 million. That's, I mean, that, that is in common use right there in and of itself. But here's a couple interesting points. First and foremost, um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's interesting to watch the, uh, it's interesting to watch these states do this. I think they're doing it on purpose. They know that what they're doing is unconstitutional, but now they're forcing it back onto gun owners or pro-gun organizations to have to fight it. Maybe they're just trying to bleed them dry. I don't know. Maybe that's what they want to do. They know that it won't stand up in court in the long run, but it's their kind of last stand or the figuratively flipping the bird to these people on the way out the door saying, you're going to have to prove that it's unconstitutional. Uh, and then well, so that's, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we're going to find out or start to find out fairly soon. I mean, yeah, one of the decisions that the Supreme Court vacated after Bruin dealt with Maryland's assault weapon law, and that is is before the circuit court right now. The Supreme Court said, rethink this. Right, right. <laughs> look, look at what we said in Bruin and, and rethink. So they're rethinking it right now. And that so that decision will come out pretty soon, I think. Um, we'll see what they say. And yeah. then if they, if they say, oh, you know, we rethought it and we still think this is OK. That's obviously going to be there's going to be an appeal of that. Um, and at some point you'll have, you know, a, a contrary circuit court decision and the Supreme Court will have to intervene and decide who's right. Um, but given what they've said about what the Second Amendment covers, given what they've said about um, the, the, the test for what kinds of regulations are constitutional, I just don't. It's very hard to see how they could uh, uphold these laws. Yeah, well, it's the same thing on these safe space things and everything else you're seeing these states pass, even though the Supreme Court ruled on those things as well, and they're still doing it. So eventually it's going to have to be settled. But Bruin, I think, is the first step in many of those things. Interestingly enough, as you watch these different cases go out, and especially when they are supposed to now offer this historical perspective, right, uh, the, to watch the loops and the the pretzel twist that these guys have to try and make with some of these historical analogies is just it's just hysterical almost to watch some of this stuff because they try and take a you know some town in 1868 said that you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that and 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 so that means this today and and the judge is like well wait it just says you shouldn't be shooting your gun while you're drinking it doesn't say you can't have a gun. It doesn't say you can't have a gun to shoot later on. You just shouldn't have your gun shooting while you're drinking kind of thing. But they, boy, they really turned some loops in logic to make that stuff happen. Yeah, I mean, that you alluded to the, you know, the cases dealing with the ban on, on gun possession by, uh, by cannabis consumers, which the Biden administration is defending. Oddly, because right. <laughs> the president president says this should not even be a crime to you know to, to smoke marijuana. On the one hand, he says that it's terrible, all the burdens that that uh, you know, uh, marijuana prohibition is imposed on people. But at the same time, his administration is saying, you know, if you do this, you may not own a gun, uh, and it's, it shows that you're you know untrustworthy and dangerous and and lawless and all 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 these terrible things. Uh, which seems like a complete contradiction, but that's what they're doing. And 
And in defending that law, they, like you said, they, they reach back and they find, you know, a bunch of statutes that basically said were aimed at drunk people handling guns in public. Right, right. First of all, first of all drunk people. Yeah. <laughs> Not just people actually, who drink, yeah. Actually handling dr- guns while they're drunk in public. Right. right. And they're saying, well, that's close enough to a ban that says if you occasionally smoke pot, you're never allowed to have a gun in public or private under any circumstance. Right. And, you know, reasonable people will see a distinction there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, in, exactly. and in fact, a couple of federal judges already have said that yeah, is that's not it. relevantly similar. That's not a close enough Jacob, analogy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Jacob Sullivan, Reason Magazine. We're up against the break. We got to go back with more. The Michael Duke Show continues. No, look, Jacob, that was the most ridiculous thing because it was very clearly stating not that you couldn't ever have a gun, not that you couldn't shoot a gun, not that you couldn't own a gun, but that you shouldn't have a gun in public while you're drunk. Well, there's no law that says because you drink alcohol, you can't have a gun ever. Right. And that it, would be that would be that would be a good analogy. Yeah. If there were such a law. Right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. No, but and just that that was just the one that really stuck out to me. But there's been several where they've tried to equate that same kind of stuff with uh, not just with uh, public intoxication or, or drugs or anything else. But, you know, we, we've seen them try and make these leaps of law. I mean, this most recent case that we were just talking about before you came on this new ruling in Virginia that says that the ban on handgun sales to under 21s is unconstitutional. One of the government's actual arguments in this case was the government's contention that the under-21s aren't part of the people who possess the Second Amendment rights. And I'm like, what? Not part of the people? I mean, you can conscript these people into the military and force them to go out and fight for you, but then they're not part of the people. So do they have any rights? And even the judge said, that's a slippery slope. You, You know, basically, you can't do that. But this is how the government is trying to parse a lot of this stuff out in their arguments is they're trying to find the most amorphous connections to some of these historical laws. I think, again, that's why I think Bruin is probably the beginning of the end for many of these big time gun control schemes that have come out over the last uh, 30 years. Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, They also tried that trick in the the marijuana cases uh, of saying, first of all, the cannabis consumers aren't even part of the people. They said that. <laughs> right. Why? Because right. they don't, they break, they break the law and they've thereby right. excluded themselves from this. And yes, that did not fare well. Um, even, even the judge who, uh, who upheld, you know, the, the law said, didn't rely on that. He said, instead, he bought the thing about how, you know, if you can't carry a gun when you're drunk in public, then obviously if you ever smoke pot, you're not allowed to have one, uh, you know, to own a gun, period. Right. Uh, he bought that analogy, but he didn't rely on this argument about you're not even part of the people. Yeah, yeah. And that's that, again, is a troubling trend because it's there's been several cases that have kind of had that whole point of saying that you're basically, if you don't conform, you're basically non-people. Uh, and yet in a country where civil disobedience is almost a, a, a historical, you know, precedent, that is a very troubling trend. Um, and I think what you're seeing, again, we're t- just talking about the the universal background checks or the assault weapons bans in these states where there's just been almost complete noncompliance or civil disobedience. That is a troubling trend because they basically could just say, well, all those people, they're not they're not the people. They're not citizens anymore because they're not following the law. And that 
that that can ha- that's chilling in some ways. Yeah, I mean, like also, uh, it's a, it's similar to the argument uh, that um, if you if you have a felony record of it, no matter what the felony is, and it's completely up to the government to define what a felony is, you may not own, own a gun ever, right? Yeah. And so, uh, in one case, the judge said, suppose uh, New York decided that mowing your lawn was a felony. They passed that law. Right. You were, you're convicted of mowing your lawn. And does that mean that you may never own a gun again? And uh, the government was like, well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what it means. That's yeah. what it means. Yeah. Uh, you know, so obviously there's a problem with that reasoning because then it, it gives the legislature complete authority to decide right. on a whim who gets to exercise his rights. Yeah, there's no circumstantial discretion on any of those things, right? I mean, it's a total nonviolent felony for something else, or like you said, some arbitrary new one that they cook up. You dared to put a gas gas range into your new house in New York State, and now you're a felon because you could put a new gas stove in your thing, and now we're going to take away all your rights. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. It's insane stuff. Um, all right. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on board. As always, sure. it's good to talk with you. And I hope uh, I hope happy Happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, and oh, you. <laughs> I appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on board. Uh, we'll talk with you again soon. OK. OK. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs> Thanks so much. Jacob Sullen, Reason Magazine here on the uh, Michael Duke show. Uh, all right. Uh, coming up into hour two of the big radio broadcast. Uh, we're going to talk with Chris Ching. Top Shot champion from season uh, four of Top Shot. He's going to be joining us here in uh, just a few moments. And uh, it'll be, oh, I guess about 15 minutes we'll be talking with him. Meanwhile, we got plenty of stories to talk about. And uh, let's see what's going on over here uh, in the chat room. Uh, the states or municipalities that file those frivolous lawsuits should have to cover all the cost and reimburse the defendant, said Jim. Um, you know, look, that's what I was talking about. I think in some ways this is the gun control advocates or maybe the more progressive members of uh, state administrations or whatever. They're literally giving the finger to people saying, we know that Bruin's probably going to make this unconstitutional, but we're going to pass it anyway and make you fight it. That's that's all I can think of when when it's very it, when it's very clear uh, after the Bruin decision. That these kind of things, whether it's the sensitive spaces part or the assault weapons ban part or whatever, is clearly unconstitutional. These people are like, nope, we're going to we're going to do it anyway. And all they're doing is putting the burden again back on the citizen who then has to foot the bill for that. And it's not cheap to fight those kind of cases. Right. Especially if it has to go all the way up to the Supreme Court. I mean, we know uh, we know, for example, about the. Uh, John Sturgeon case here in Alaska, where he took that waterways fight up to the Supreme Court, that cost two million bucks, two million dollars to fight that. And even if you've got organizations like GOA or the Firearms Policy Coalition or Second Amendment Foundation fighting it, that takes a tremendous amount of resources. And this is, I think, just them giving us the finger. That's really what this is all about. And maybe they're hoping they can get away with it. I don't know. All right, hour two is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
Whoa, buddy. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns. One for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my little friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. Take my rifle, this is my gun. This is for the Firearms Friday. Firearms Friday, Friday. Um, good morning, and uh, thanks for coming on board and joining us here this morning in Firearms Friday. This is Hour 2 of the Big Radio Show. We just finished up with Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine, who uh, was our guest today to talk about universal background checks and the Bruin decision and the effect on things like some of these assault weapons ban and everything else. Uh, it's uh, It's been good stuff, and we've... Uh, we've, we've we had a great time. If you missed it, you can go listen to it uh, either on the replay on Facebook or YouTube, or you can just uh, subscribe to the podcast, which is available on uh, CastBox, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and of course, my favorite, Spotify. You can go out there and uh, subscribe to the podcast and it'll automatically be downloaded to your device every day after the show. And you can go back and just listen to it at your leisure. In fact, we called it Dukes on Demand for a while because it's the only time you could tell me what to do. That's you, you can stop. You could fast forward. You could go back. You could skip a part because tired of that guy talking and or whatever. Anyway, you can go check it out. Uh, you could find links to all that stuff, by the way, over on my, uh, over on my uh, website at MichaelDukeShow.com. Special thanks to our friends over there at Satellite West. For sponsoring the big program today, it doesn't matter where you are in the state. Uh, Uzinki to Uktavik, Metlakatla to Menchumina. Um, uh, never mind. Wherever you are in the state of Alaska, if you uh, want to stay connected, the folks at Satellite West are all about that. They're about helping you, whether it's with phone calls or emails or text messages, or maybe you just need to surf the internet. They've got the tools and the technology to keep you in contact no matter where you are stop by and see him over there at satellitewest.com for a full list of dealers including um ones near you i mean if you're you know radar alaska down on the spit in homer if you want to be there or uh, communications north at seward or lundy marine electronics out in dutch harp where you know on alaska wherever you want to be um all right so uh, let's continue on here. Coming up in this hour, we're going to be joined by Chris Chang, Top Shot champion from season four of the television show Top Shot on the History Channel. He is uh, a spokesperson for the National Sports Shootings Foundation. He's the author of the book Shoot to Win, 
which is kind of a beginner's guide to firearms and and shooting and everything else. And then, of course, he's also the one of the founders of the Asian uh, and Pacific American Gun Owners Association, APAGOA, right? Asian and Pacific American Gun Owners Association. I always was I was messing that up. So he's uh, he's going to be with us here um, in just a bit to talk about the hot news of the day, things that are going on and uh, just, you know, anything that's happening in his world. We catch up with him once a month and we love to have him on the program. So we'll be talking about that. Meanwhile, <clears throat> back uh, on the headline route, let's uh, take a look at some of the uh, some of the things that uh, we were just discussing a few minutes ago. Um, you know, there is, in fact, we were talking about this previously about how, you know, with Jacob, universal background checks, you know, in many cases, and especially when they usually start talking about these things, they've discovered that, you know, a lot of times they're pushing out laws that won't make a difference. But even the laws that are on the books is... <laughs> It, it, that are not this is part of the problem now if you have been kind of paying attention to some of this stuff you know that there have been uh, there was a shooting in chicago of an off-duty police officer that was shot and killed uh this happened just uh i, I guess just a couple of days ago and this is a prime example um and t tom knighton and over bearing arms is talking about this and you know it just says Take a look at what's going on around us right now. We have hundreds, but probably thousands of gun regulations. In fact, I, I think at one point I saw a statistic that said if you counted every different law regarding firearms and commerce and pieces and parts, that there's something like 20,000 different laws and regulations on the books regarding firearms, which for something that says shall not be infringed seems to be a problem, right? I mean, that, that seems to be problematic. Um, at this, in fact, I had to laugh because I was in, uh, I was in a store, uh, down in, uh, Soldatna, uh, when I was on the peninsula last weekend, um, I stopped by, uh, uh, I think it was Soldatna ammo supply there. And I was just looking at some of the things that they had. And I was laughing because they had a whole rack of <clears throat> Magpul, uh, magazines, rifle magazines. And I really hadn't paid attention to it in the past, but it just caught my eye right in the middle of the packaging is this big, bold black box that says, you know, the ITAR. This is an ITAR compliant piece and can't be shipped outside the U.S. and yada, which is the International Traffic and Arms Regulations. That's what that's what ITAR stands for. Basically, meaning that if somebody builds something for guns in the U.S., it can't be exported to any other countries without the blessing of the State Department, which it. I mean, it's a piece of plastic. It's a magazine. They've done the same thing with hand grips and and sights and everything else. That there have been people who have been put in jail for selling these things overseas. Um, you know, selling them outside the country or to customers outside the country for violation of ITAR rules and things. Twenty thousand different rules on the books, um, which is problematic. Um, but here's the thing: a lot of times, there's many of these laws. That, you know, while Democrats continue to stand on their soapbox as people get killed in the most public fashion, and then they use that to, as Jacob said, to kind of leapfrog their agenda out there. In many cases, they're refusing to enforce the laws that are already on the books. And this thing in Chicago is 
just a prime example of it. An off-duty police officer was shot and killed. They've arrested five people for this thing. First of all, so they attacked this woman thinking she was an easy target until she started to fight back. Then they killed her uh, and took her gun, and, and but they were all apprehended at this point. One of the main suspects was a man who had a previous criminal history that include multiple gun crimes, multiple gun crimes in this history. He had assaulted an officer after being arrested with a gun with an extended magazine, which is unlawful. He had also had an indictment on felony gun charges that led him to pleading to aggravated unlawful use of a weapon. In addition, he had been arrested in a SWAT raid where he was sleeping next to a ghost gun with an extended magazine and more. For all of these multiple crimes, many of which were dropped, by the way, he received a grand total of two years of probation and 50 hours of community service. I mean, this, and there was another report of the one of the other suspects, which was a female in her early 20s, who had also been arrested for in they found in her bedroom they found a firearm one time when they came to get her in her bedroom and she didn't have a firearm owner's identification card which is required in chicago to own a firearm so she had so all of these people prohibited people and yet they none of them had done time for these crimes i mean i don't necessarily agree with all the laws that they were accused of breaking but those were the law of the land, and so they are disqualified from doing any of these things, and yet they still showed up and were able to get guns and go out there and do the bad things. I mean, this guy got probation and community service, and they had two or three charges uh, it previously just dismissed. I mean, you're trying to tell us that we need more laws, more restrictions, more takings on our rights to deal with the problem. But at the same time, when somebody actually breaks those things blatantly, you give them a hard pass. And then you expect that the average legal law-abiding citizen should just suck it up, buttercup. That's part of the problem. I mean, again, with, with Jacob, we were just talking about, you know, the, the non-compliance rate. With some of these laws, because I think in a lot of ways, uh, you know, upstanding law abiding citizens are tired of being the scapegoat for the actions of a very, 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 very small minority of gun owners. Right. I mean, 400 million guns in this country. And less than one half of one percent of them are used in a crime. And yet, what do they want to do? I mean, 100 million gun owners, essentially. What do they want to do? They want to penalize and punish and, and make life more difficult for the 99.9% .9 of people who are lawful legal gun owners and the 0.1% of people who are actually doing bad things. They don't even prosecute them. You know, they talk about universal background checks and they talk about people going in. How many times they had 40, I think it was last year, year before, they had 40,000 instances of felons or, or prohibited people attempting to purchase firearms from a dealer 
with a four that actually a, a admitted on the 4473 that they were felons and everything else. How many of those did they prosecute out of the 40,000? Something like 12 or 17. It was less than 20 out of 40,000. Like what the what the heck? All of us legal, lawful, law-abiding gun owners are sitting out here being treated and being forced in the case of the non-compliance in Washington state for universal background checks or New York over the assault weapons ban, being forced essentially to outlaw behavior because of the stupidity of these laws. Again, civil disobedience is kind of this, the most American of expression. Um, and I think you're going to see the more those kind of laws that you put out, the more you're going to see people basically just not comply. And part of that, you could point right back to the politicians and the power brokers and the powers that be who refuse to enforce the laws that they already have on the books. That's what it comes down to. Okay, we got to go. Chris Chang is going to be our guest up next, Top Shot Champion Season 4. We'll be talking with him. And then we're going to finish up the show today with Willie Waffle, wafflemovies.com. We'll be back. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Um... It was, it is so much about the funding. Look who is promoting the gas stove bans or standing in the opposition to nuclear power. These NGOs are funded almost exclusively by some serious big money progressives, the elites. Our betters, if you will. Yeah, I know. I know. That's where a lot of it's going on. Um, uh, let's see. Outside of the topic, but the revenuers are out in force in Fairbanks Construction Zone. Counted 10 yesterday and 8 this morning, and that's just the troopers. Got to love those double traffic fines in Construction Zone. Yeah, I mean, there was a tremendous number of uh, troopers on the Glen Highway yesterday coming back from Anchorage. Um, and uh, I don't know if they're out in force. I mean, it's middle of the month, right? So they're not they, – maybe they're trying to hit their quotas early for the month. I don't – I don't know. There's been a lot of law enforcement out the last couple days. Uh, watch it. So be careful out there. Drive the speed limit. Don't don't get uh, don't get uh, out of the way. Um. Okay. Um. I need to break. What was this? Need to break out the murder gun and go look for something black that tries to break into people's things this weekend. 
Oh, you're going out to you're going out to do some bear hunting. Okay. That's uh that's good. Um I'm I'm still in still going backwards here. Um Randy was still stuck on my comment about Trump. I remember Trump's comment also, but what does that have to do with a national red flag law in hindsight? I and I guess maybe I should have said seemingly in support of a national red flag idea because that's essentially what red red flag laws does, right? They basically take the guns and they'll worry about due process later. That's what red There is no due process in the beginning of that that situation. That's why it's problematic to begin with. It, you just don't you just don't see that kind of stuff. It's very very problematic. Um uh, I'm sure all of us would have liked to have taken away the Parkland shooter's guns prior to his schoolmaster. After all, he showed dozens of signs of dangers. His relative should have gone and taken his guns away from him and worried about due process of the slow local Florida laws later. I mean, again, this is a guy that had over a dozen interactions with the FBI and more than 20, I think it was like 27 interactions with local law enforcement. This guy was obviously a known bad actor, and yet he was able to walk in there and get... The, you know, get all again, the poster child for why this stuff should have, you know, why he should have been flagged on this stuff. Absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, Chris said they need their quotas for the day. All right. Well, you guys are awful quiet this morning. Are you just enjoying the ranting or uh, the guests or what's going on? You got plans for the weekend? I'm going out on a cruise tonight. I'm going to Whittier. Heartbeats and Bubbly Cruise, benefiting the American Heart Association Alaska. We put together a cruise for the uh, for the heart uh, folks and uh, should be good. I've actually never been on a cruise out of Whittier, so that'll be uh, that'll be fun. Uh, going to cruise out into the sound from uh, from Whittier. Uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a doozy. Going to be a doozy tonight. So that'll be. That'll be fun. Uh, all right. Chris Chang's going to join us here in just a minute or so, and we'll see what uh, he has to say. Meanwhile, uh, I got a great email. I should have taken the time to read this in the last segment, but I didn't do it. Uh, Amanda reached out to me and is telling me the story of growing up in the woods in Alaska and how she was, how she was, uh, um, you know how she was acquainted with guns and how the whole firearm things worked. Uh, she lived up in Chicken, and uh, definitely an interesting, definitely an interesting uh, little piece of commentary there. Maybe we'll get to this next Friday. Let me star this here so that I can make sure that I remember to talk about this next Friday. All right. Well, <clears throat> we're peeling into it here, uh, ready to go. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like it, share, like it, follow. I see Chris is in the green room. We don't have time to test him here. Hopefully it all works. Fingers crossed. Let's do it. Okay, <clears throat> it's Firearms Friday. TGIFF, baby. That's what it's all about. That one day a week we get to really enjoy ourselves and let our hair down. What little hair I have left. 
Uh, we're going to join, be joined right now by my friend uh, Chris Chang, Top Shot Champion Season 4, author of the book Shoot to Win. Uh, he's a spokesperson for the National Shooting Sports Foundation and one of the founders of the uh, Asian and American Pacific American uh, Gun Owners Association. I'm going to screw that up. Anyway, he's here with us this morning. Good morning, my friend. How are hey, you? Hey, good morning, Michael. Uh, it's great to see you. Good to see you, my friend. How, how are things on this beautiful Friday for you? You all ready to go? Yeah, man. Uh, I just spent the past week um, over in Savannah, Georgia with uh, the Firearms Industry Trade Group and um, yeah, I just had a, had a great week of learning about the state of the industry, opportunities, you know, challenges that lie ahead. And, you know, I get very reinvigorated and excited about the future of, uh, of our community. Yeah. Then you have to go back to the People's Republic and realize, oh, I'm living in occupied territory. It's, I know. It's got to be hard, man. I just, I don't know how you do it. How do you do it? We've got some promising development on some uh, legal battles to undo some of the gun control laws here. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm optimistic. Well, good. I mean, you know, you can't necessarily abandon your post, but I know sometimes it made me, it would make me feel like, okay, uh, this is where I pull the ripcord and just jump out of the plane because I can't, I can't do it anymore. It's got to be hard. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm staying here in California to fight the good fight. Yeah. Uh, so tell us, uh, you know, what's, uh, you know, you just, again, meeting with the trade group. Uh, what is, you know, what's new in your world as both, uh, you know, for APA GOA and, and, What's going on, uh, you know, with your, uh, uh, you know, w in the industry where you're talking about things? I know you've been working on some videos. We obviously have some headline news we could talk about Bruin, but I just wanted to kind of get, see where you're at. What's happening with you? It's been a while since we talked. Yeah, so uh, May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. And so in the month of May, uh, you know, we'll see all across the country a number of events and activities and educational sessions about Asian American history. and and so. For APA GOA, which uh, stands for Asian Pacific American Gun Owners Association, another long, you know, alphabet soup. I know. Letters. I knew I'd get or, it wrong. I knew I'd get it wrong, but it's okay. One day, maybe you'll uh, learn how to use your words. But. I know. I know. It's <laughs> it's tough when you get paid to use your words, and you're like, blah, 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 you know. How about what it be? Anyway, so um, tomorrow I'm uh, I'm going to the range for a uh, an event where it's celebrating APA Heritage Month and, and also celebrating Mother's Day. You know, uh, also yeah, don't forget Mother's Day is, uh, is coming up. So um, uh, I bought a vacuum. I bought a vacuum already, so it's all covered. She's not listening. I bought her a vacuum. I'm sure she'll be happy. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, so tomorrow I'll be at the range. Uh, and so anybody who's listening, if you happen to be in Northern California uh, in the Bay Area. We're going to United Sportsmen's um, Range uh, in Concord, California, and we're it's a it's a fun shoot, right? We're we're going to have a bunch of people show up. There's some volunteer instructors. If you want some you know, formal, you know, or informal instruction, we're going to have a you know barbecue. It's going to be a great time of just firearms and friends. It's it's going to be just the most I think purest. Uh, example of uh, what fun can be in in the space. That's triple F right there. Food, firearms, and friends. What more could you ask for? I mean, that's that's Indeed. a that's a beautiful. Indeed. And the one thing about California that I can't you know I can't uh, give you guys too much of a hard time for is pretty sure you're almost guaranteed good weather almost all the time. Yeah. So not a not yeah, a bad thing. Definitely. Yeah. And so uh, later in the month uh, down in L.A. APA GOA is uh, putting on an event in the L.A. area. So if anybody is interested about learning more about, you know, the, either event, uh, APAGOA.org. And, um, yeah, the other update 
is you have the I have a new series of uh, firearms safety and, and firearms cultural videos targeted towards the first time gun owner or the new shooter. And those are coming out from the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which is the firearms industry trade group. And so there's about, a, I think it's about 10 videos and they're gonna be um, a little you know, drip campaign uh, over the course of the next few months with a big focus on, on August. So a lot of these videos will be coming out in August because August is National Shooting Sports Month. So there'll be a series of you know uh, shooting events right. and activities you know all throughout August, all across the country. So yeah, those uh, those videos, you know, we we have about 14 million new first-time gun owners in our country over the past few years, which I mean, these are ridiculous numbers. Huge. We've never seen growth like like the past two years yeah and so these videos that i'm creating right are are targeted towards those new shooters the, the new gun owner and really it's about one encouraging them to come to the range right it's 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 not enough to just buy a gun right you gotta train with it you've got to learn yeah. how to properly use it and defend yourself so right just getting people uh to the range and reminding them that you know you need to go practice uh, and then obviously number two, you know, the, these are instructional videos as well. Right. So my right. videos uh, will like teach those fundamental, uh, you know, basics about marksmanship so that these new gun owners will go to the range that hopefully they will uh, come and buy a second and a third and a fourth gun. But right, we, 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 we can't lose first time gun owners, you know, because they don't know or they don't, they don't understand that they need to go practice. So that's the goal of right. these upcoming videos from the National Shooting Sports Foundation. I, I you know, when I've taught, uh, when I've uh, done some instructor classes, I was an NRE instructor, and uh, you know, I used to say, you know, the the firearm is not some kind of mystical totem that when you carry it on your person, it just keeps you safe. It's not a laser shield, right? You've got to you've got to understand how it works. You've got to practice with it. You've got to develop the muscle memory. You've got to understand these things. It's like any tool; you have to become proficient with it. And, you know, a lot of times, like you said, people will buy it and they're like, you know, the lady buys it. And she goes, oh, just puts it in her purse and she goes, now I'm safe. No, you're not. In fact, you're probably more unsafe because you haven't trained with it. You don't understand the limitations or the possibilities. So these things are important. And the fact that we're talking about millions, millions of new gun owners is, I mean, that just puts a twinkle in my eye and 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 makes me understand. And I think that was what was so shocking. I mean, you 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 live on the left coast, so you are probably surrounded by a lot of people who are not of the same proclivity politically and, and kind of philosophically that you are. So you probably get a lot more of this. But I think many of the people on the left and especially the pro-gun control side were so shocked when they saw the statistics on the that first new four million batch of new gun owners to realize that they were women, minorities. Uh, people who are, you know, politically left and things like this, people who are shocked to find out that it wasn't as easy to get a gun as it is to get a library book kind of thing. Uh, I think that there was a I think that caused a shockwave amongst a lot of those folks. And we need to turn that to our advantage. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's been um, interesting to see the diversity, you know, and inclusion play uh, kind of get turned on its head a little bit because, right. you know, we don't usually we don't usually benefit from that, right? I mean, we, yeah, you know. exactly. But um, you know, the past few years, right? The uh, the circumstances uh, in our in our country have have uh, drastically changed, right? Where a lot more people are realizing that they need to be their own first defender, right? Their own first responder, rather, 
right? That means that, you know, the, the police may not get there in time and they may not even be available. You know, in, I live in San Francisco and we had a situation in our neighborhood a, a few weeks ago. My neighbor was on hold for seven minutes when he dialed 911, right? right? On hold for seven minutes and he never got connected anyway. He gave up. He hung up the phone after seven minutes of waiting for 911 to just pick up the phone, right? So more and more people across the country, including here in the Bay Area, they're realizing, well, you know, if 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 911 isn't gonna even talk to me, let alone, you know, the police being here, and if the criminal justice system isn't gonna be able to exact justice on, on the other side of, of a crime, then then who can I rely on right. to protect myself? And the answer is right? You, you yeah. need to be responsible, right? For protecting right. yourself and a lot of people, right? Are, are making, um, you know, the choice that a firearm is for them. And, you know, like I said, well, okay. Get buying, making that decision is the first step. And then we need to follow through and close the loop with training. And, and it, it's a right. lifetime exercise, right? It's a perishable skill. You've got to continually train with your firearm if you want to keep yourself and others safe. Yeah. No, it's the old axiom of when seconds count, the police are only minutes away, or in some cases, maybe hours away at this point. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that you would think that's weird because usually in a big city or a big city area, the response time is usually four or five minutes. But when you're on hold for seven minutes just to be able to report the crime, I mean, that's that's great. And it wasn't even like it was a crisis time, right? It's not like it was the pandemic and there were riots going on. It was just normal, yeah. average, everyday yeah. stuff. This was this was a few weeks ago. And, you know, San Francisco, uh, the, the police department, they've got a shortage of I think it's about 500 police officers. And so, you know, they're having a recruiting problem, right? I mean, the morale in SFPD is pretty low from what I understand, because a lot of San Francisco residents, you know, they, they don't support law enforcement. Right. They think Let's defund the police, and somehow that's going to make our community safer, right? It's it's right. It's we're, we're literally reaping what we're sowing here, right? And um, you know the the law, you know, PD is just um, they're stuck in a really hard job, right? Where they 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 want to do what they're trained to do, right? But there's this loud vocal minority of San Francisco residents who are just preventing them from, from doing their jobs. And they're almost, almost always, it seems like our, our, our government and, and, and a lot of the residents too, they side with the criminals. Yeah. They side with the no, criminals. and that's the thing. You get the soft on crime prosecutors, and then you get the people who are saying defund the police. And they're never taking that to the logical conclusion of, well, if we defund the police and we're soft on crime, what's going to happen? Oh, you mean a repeat of what's going on right now and getting worse? Oh, I never even thought of that. Uh, less than a minute here, Chris Chang. Final thoughts here before we let you go for today. Yeah, well, um, I, I think this this year is, I'm just really excited about this year, you know, right? It, it, it feels like the return to normalcy. Yeah, oh yeah. In, in so many ways, um, you know, restaurants are, are, are getting packed again. Uh, range i mean the ranges shooting ranges have been very busy you know over the past few years um and so i think that's the challenge i, I think that we if we're going to see though is you know these ranges are have made a lot of uh, adjustments to adapt to this new influx right of, of new shooters and so right we need to make 
we need to make the range and the gun shop experience great ones, right? So we're Especially, talking... yeah, especially for first-time shooters. Chris, I appreciate yeah, it. Hold the line for a second. Folks, we're out of time. we got to go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Sorry about that, Chris. I had a hard break coming up. But yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we have to, you know, you need that deluxe experience uh, at a shooting range or a gun store when you come in, especially if you're a first time buyer, so that you can understand it and it makes it more fun, not intimidating, so that we need to be more welcoming. You know, there's nothing worse than somebody who doesn't know anything about guns already feeling intimidated about their lack of knowledge and walking into some gun store where there's 16 guys, you know, walking around with toothpicks in going, yep, I know it all and I know it all. And who are you? You're a know nothing plea. But not that that's going to happen in a lot of places, but we need to be extra welcoming, especially to first time gun owners to get more folks involved. Yeah, one of the uh, insights that I learned over this past week at this uh, firearms industry summit was you know a lot of gun shops they they just don't fully understand how to provide good customer service and so one example that this was from this was from feedback from first time gun owners and and this was a woman and she said in in the survey that it took the gun shop 3 minutes for someone to even just come up and say hi to her and like it wasn't busy apparently right so you know, she's Dang. walking around, you know, she, she doesn't know where to go, like what, what, right. where to even start. Right? right. And, um, you know, she opened the door apparently and the whole gun shop, you know, went silent, you know, it's like the, <laughs> everyone turns their heads and then pauses for a few seconds and right. then they go back to the normal business. It's like, look, like you can't do that to people. Right? right. Or, you know, there's a dynamic of, you know, husband, wife, you know, walk into the gun shop. And a, a sales associate will start talking to the husband and saying, oh, you know, how can I help you today? But more and more, it's not the husband who needs help. Right. It's the wife who needs help. The husband's just there for fun, right? right. So some of these sort of the gender biases, right, that, that, that exist, you know, they're, they're getting broken down, right? So more women, right, more people of color, right, coming into gun shops. And, you know, if, if these gun stores want to, you know, right, get new customers for life and right and close sales like you gotta have an open mind and and, and it's just sales 101 just be be friendly right be I welcoming get, and i gotta help you should tell the shooting sports people that they should send all their sales clerks to alaska for sales training because you walk into a gun store in alaska and you're more likely to see a lady behind the counter or in a lady on the other side of the counter and yes you know people of color and it you know the natives alaska natives and 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 yeah, all I minorities. It. I mean, it's just that's just the way it is. Everybody, you know, is like, oh, yeah, you're here to buy a gun. You know, I'll talk to you kind of thing. But, yeah, yeah that's, that's what we need. Be. More welcoming, more open, making it shooting is fun. I mean, it's fun. It should not be a grim thing. It's a, it's it's enjoyable and it's a right. And there's I mean, so many things tied up into it. I would love to be able to afford to build a whole thing where it was a gun store and an indoor range and all this kind of stuff where it was just a fun experience. Uh, but, you know, you're talking about a multi-million dollar investment for some of those things. So we got to take the facilities we have now and make them as fun as possible. Indeed. Yeah. Well, Chris, good luck. Where These videos are coming out. They're starting to dribble out now, but most of them will come out in August. Where are those videos going to be at on in YouTube? 
Yeah, uh, we're actually going to be on YouTube and Instagram uh, and a few other platforms. If you follow the National Shooting Sports Foundation or NSSF, uh, they're going to be the kind of a, the lead, um, you know, uh, hosting of those videos. But um, if you follow me at Top Shot Chris on social media and YouTube as well, I'll uh, be posting the uh, the videos on my channels. All right. Well, I can't wait to watch them, and we'll be able to send them out and share them out. And when they come out, we'll do it. Of course, they did it in August, and you can thank me for that. August is my birthday month, and there so they made it the gun because they know they knew. They said, "Hey, this guy yeah. was born there. He's going to be a gun <laughs> guy. It's going to be good." All right, Chris. Well, it's good to talk to you, my friend. Uh, uh, give my best to your family, and uh, thanks for being part of it today. I appreciate it. Thanks as always. All right. Good to talk with you. Thanks so much. Enjoy the sunshine down there in sunny CA. Uh, all right. Woo, man. Is this, was this not like one of the fastest shows in a while? This show is, I mean, we're coming down to it. Now we get to change gears and go, oh, I should change that, shouldn't I? I should change the thing. I always, sometimes I always forget to the last minute and then I'm panicking because Willie, we don't want Willie to be blue. We want Willie to be orange. We want Willie to be orange. Um, all right, so we're getting ready to uh, be a part of it here. Willie Waffle's going to be joining us in just a hot second, and uh, we're going to be ready to go. I suspect some left-wing politicians don't care if conservatives would not comply with gun confiscation. That is because some conservatives who secretly have prohibited guns and know that they are lawbreakers will then keep their heads down and not speak up publicly against the government. This is because these conservatives will fear the government might single them out and start looking to see if they have prohibited guns. Uh, I mean, I just think that basically the, you know, when guns are outlawed, only outlaws will have guns. Uh, old mantra is probably pretty true. Not because those people were outlaws to begin with, but because, uh, you know, <laughs> you made them outlaws by doing it. All right, we got to go. Uh, we're coming up on it. Uh, Willie Waffle phone is uh, flashing right now, which means he's about to join us. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Hello. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you. Goodbye. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it all. Willie Waffle, our guest. Here we go. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. We're ready to do this. It's the weekend. Willie Waffle, wafflemovies.com. He comes on board to join us every week to talk about movies and entertainment and all that kind of good stuff. Good morning, sir. What's uh, what's happening? What's What be the haps? You know, I just feel like the weekend is upon us. And that means anything can happen in the next couple of days. You know, anything. Anything. Yeah. Anything can happen. Um. Yeah, I mean, as long as it's good stuff, I, I'm fine with that. <laughs> it's just a, yeah, that, that's usually yeah. the downside. So, yeah, anything could yeah. happen, man. Ooh. We don't need that for sure. <laughs> um, all yeah. right, well, let's uh, let's jump right into it with entertainment news. Uh, first and foremost, um, Yellowstone. Some more stuff is coming out now. Of course, writer's strike is going to cause all kinds of mayhem anyway, but uh, we're getting some more news on the new... Uh, the new series that uh, Taylor Sheridan's putting together with Matthew McConaughey. So what? Well, uh, yeah. What's the, what's the word well, here? Not only the new series, but the old series. 
They finally made it official after all the, 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 all the reports that have been coming out, all the rumors, all the speculation. It is official. Yellowstone will end this November. They will show the rest of season five and then immediately, like probably like the next week, launch into the new Yellowstone sequel starring probably Matthew McConaughey. It's like the worst kept secret ever. Like they don't want to commit to it probably because like, you know, he's negotiating for money right now. Right, but right. It, it, it's it's Matthew McConaughey, people. Okay, right. and and the story and, and the way it goes is that they're going to bring in some of the characters from Yellowstone to be part of this. That it will be a true and honest sequel. Now, here's my question, and this is the part that's going to make people uncomfortable. How are they going to do anything to finish season five for Yellowstone when there's a writer's strike? Yeah. And last we knew, Taylor Sheridan hadn't finished any scripts for part two of the season. Uh, and if he's a member of the Writers Guild of America, he's not really supposed to be writing right now. Right, right. Well, he's just going to be like, I had a marathon session, man. I had a marathon yeah, was, session. Like, on April 30th, I stayed up all night. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I've been working on it for a while. And then, you know. Um, <laughs> well, and, and how are they going to get Costner? I mean, this, you know, remember, this has been the big, the big, the big controversy. The Costner basically just isn't available. He's like, I'll do all my stuff in one week for you. That's what I've got because I got other projects. I'm making my own movie. Now he's got a divorce he's got to deal with. Costner's got a lot of stuff going on right now. Right, right. And, you know, is he really going to be available to do a traditional uh, television series shoot of the last however many episodes? There'll be four episodes. Well, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of a little upset about Costner because, I mean, talking about kind of the hand biting the hand that feeds you. I mean, he's look, he's a big, yeah. he's a big actor, he's a big name, but he hasn't done a lot of great stuff recently. And this was like such a huge hit. And he, you know, I mean, I would just think that he would at least be gracious enough to finish it for the fans, but maybe he just doesn't feel like he owes anybody anything at that point. Yeah, and and you know, I, I think that you know Costner had gotten into a point in his career where you know, hey, he's doing okay. Granted, he's had the divorce, he's got child support payments, blah 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 blah. But you know, he's doing okay. He was doing you know smaller roles in some pretty good pictures, and yep. was doing some bigger roles and some more uh, pictures that maybe he enjoy the work. But he took Yellowstone for a reason because he still wants to be a star. He yeah. still wants to be Kevin Costner. And now, like you said, he has bitten the hand that feeds him. That you know, he is out now at Yellowstone. So, you know, I I don't care what Western movie he's making on his own, I don't think it's gonna be as big as Yellowstone. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. He could have ridden this pony for quite a while, but well, you just never no telling, I guess. Um Speaking of Taylor Sheridan and the writer's strike, the writer's strike just continues to uh, – it's it's going to be the trickle-down effect. Now, Stranger Things is on hold, right? Yes. Yeah. Stranger Things, the final season has been delayed. The, the, the producers and the writers, the Duffer brothers, uh, Matt and Ross, uh, made a statement. They said they don't feel that they can continue with production 
while there is a writer's strike. They are members of the Writers Guild. They take that very seriously. The way they make Stranger Things is there there are changes made on the fly, they said. You know, there are things that they work out as they're doing the scene, and they realize there's a better line of dialogue or a better twist that they can put in, and they're not allowed to do that while there's a strike going on. Yeah. So they're just shutting it all down. Right, because the scripts are finished, but they... They change things as they go. So that, and technically, that's writing. So, oops. Yeah, that, that's writing, especially when you're the when you're the series creator and you're the producer and you're the writer. That's what you do. You know, yeah. you're the showrunner. Yeah. You know, and and this this is not the only big Netflix series that that's in trouble right now. Everybody, take a breath for a minute. Cobra Kai has also halted production. Hey, see, I haven't seen Cobra Kai yet. So, oh, yeah. Gonna, oh, yeah. You got it. You got to see it is it is just such campy, good, like just overly dramatic fun. It I, is so great. <laughs> and what are they up to? Like season three now, season four? No, they're up to like season five or six. Wow. And they are also kind of at the end. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they did the first season for like uh, when Yahoo was trying to make a move. Was it Yahoo or YouTube? One of them was trying to make a move into producing their own programming. Yeah, it was and YouTube. And they had done YouTube. Cobra Kai. Yeah. yeah, it was YouTube, yeah. And and they had done Cobra Kai, and it was very well received, but, like, nobody saw it on YouTube. And then, you know, that's when Netflix stepped in and said, this is pretty good. We can revive this. We could we could do something with it. And it became the big smash that it is today. Yeah. Well, uh, any word on, I mean, are they going to finish this writer's strike anytime in the near future? Or are we just? I don't think so. Uh, you know, the, the word is everybody's settling in for a very, very long protracted strike because not only is the Writers Guild contract up, the Directors Guild contract is up, like, I, I want to say like in a month. And so the two sides are going to be played off of each other by the movie studios and the television studios and everybody else as as they try to make the best deal they can and then force the other group to take it. What? So it's like, we'll cut a really great deal with Directors Guild, and then the Writers Guild, well, you got to take it, because that's what the directors took. Right. And it's a little bit like what happened last time around. How long was the last one? Remind, remind me. It was a pretty long one. I was like 100 days or something. It was like, it was significant. Yeah, I want to say it was 100 days. I, I don't know why that number sticks out at me, but, you know, because it, it severely delayed the fall television season. Right. Uh, you had some shorter seasons for some of the programs. And, uh, you know, that's probably what you're going to see, I think, this time around, too. Uh, just, you know, this time around, you know, people are going to still have streaming out there. And they're going to have other sources of new programming uh, that, you know, they will embrace that is there. And then eventually they're going to run out of material, too. Yeah. And then then you've got your bigger problem. Well, we'll see what's happening with that. Uh, good news for you, Michael Keaton fans. Uh, oh, God, yes. Beetlejuice 2 is happening. Now, this is the sequel I didn't know that I wanted, but now that I've heard about it, yeah, I'm kind of excited about it. <laughs> I kind of am, too. So, yes, yes, Warner Brothers announced that, that production began like two days ago. It, it began two days ago. It, the, the movie will premiere on September 6th in 2024. It is directed by Tim Burton. It is starring Michael Keaton. It is starring Winona Ryder. And the infamous Jenna Ortega is coming along in the role of Winona Ryder's daughter. Right. So Jenna Ortega from Wednesday is now going to be uh, playing the young girl, although she's like 24 or something. I, 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 saw, I, some, I saw something the other day and she looks like she's like 15 or 14. I mean, just easily early, yeah. early teens. And then I was like, 
wow, she's 24? I'm like, that's just mind-blowing. Anyway, uh, Beetlejuice was such a fun flick. Um, I'm I'm down with it. As long as Alec Baldwin's not back, I guess I'm okay with it. I mean, I think it's good. I feel, you know, the thing about, uh, you know, I, I, that was actually something I thought about when I read the news. I'm like, I wonder if they'll get Alec Baldwin involved somehow. Because, granted, I don't like him as a human being. But man, that guy's a good actor. Oh, he I can mean, act. He, just, yeah. he does. He does get some really great roles, and 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 he, you know, him and Gina Davis were were such big parts of the original Beetlejuice that you know I'd like to see them get involved again. But you know, Alec Baldwin brings baggage, a lot of baggage. Yeah. yeah. That you know, you know, Tim Burton and Michael Keaton might go. Nah, we don't need that. We do yeah. not need that. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to see uh, what happens. All right, final thing, MTV News, which I used to watch when MTV was first up, when it was really a music channel, and it would do these little blurbs with Kurt Loder. I love Kurt Loder. I think he's cool. He writes for Reason Magazine. He writes the movie reviews for Reason Magazine. So I dig that as well. But uh, it's done. 36 years, they just pulled the plug. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm with you. You know, I remember when they brought out MTV News back in 1987. And it kind of started off with like, you know, top and bottom of the news, kind of like you do on a radio station, right? And Kurt Loder would bring you the, the news that was going on in rock and roll. And eventually it expanded and it became about pop culture and about movies. And then, you know, as the election uh, in 1992 was taking shape, it now got into politics. Right. And, and it wanted to be a force in reporting the world for Generation X. And, uh, you know, they, they had some pretty famous uh people who come off of there right you know tabitha soren kurt loader and uh, you know along the way it picked up some emmys and some peabody awards but uh, like uh like everything else at mtv things are a change and yeah. and it just kind of has has been dribbling and drabbing and, and cutting down over the years and uh mtv decided it's time to end it because you know, nobody really wants it anymore. Uh, there, you know, yeah. everybody gets this information from about a hundred different sources now, probably a thousand different sources now. Yeah. And, and what just... was once unique in 1987 just ain't unique in 2023. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. All right. Well, we yeah. whittled ourselves down to about the last three and a half minutes here. So I don't know if you want to do okay. two or three. You give me what you got here. Let's do two because. No one cares about book club. The next chapter. Let's just get that out of the way. Yeah, I mean, so, it's like, yeah, we're, no. <laughs> let us talk about. I'm telling you, the fun series that I'm enjoying the most right now. It is time for Muppets Mayhem on Disney Plus. It is the story of Doctor Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, as as a young music executive at a dying music uh, label realizes they have a contract and that 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 band owes them an album. And this could be what saves the company, except working with Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem is not exactly very easy. <laughs> oh, my God. I love this. And it's just great. Yeah, it's just it's crazy Muppet stuff. I mean, uh, that's what makes it work. You know, it's Animal doing all of his crazy and it's the hippie guitar player, right? right. You know, and and that's the best part of the series is when they're just being goofy and silly and just somehow cruising through the world without a care. Somehow just the music keeps them going. And, and the only time the series is weighed down is when they try to kind of humanize the, the, the record executive, this Lily Singh. You know, like they have a whole story about her and her family and what she's trying to do. And she's just not as entertaining as the Muppets. But I'm going three waffles. Three waffles. <laughs> I love me a good Muppets movie. I mean, 
mean, it's just no two ways about it. All right, so 10 episodes available on Disney Plus right now, three waffles. That takes us to the final thing, two minutes here. Mother, the mother. The mother, played by Jennifer Lopez, the the sexiest-looking female assassin this side of Angelina Jolie, people, let me tell you. And, uh, you know, that's the whole deal. She's, she's, she's an assassin on the run. Years ago, she was pregnant and had a baby, but had to give her up for her own protection because the mother, this assassin for, for nefarious characters, was caught in somewhat of a love triangle. And both of those guys are really, really, really bad news. And now it's years later. I want to say 12 years later. And uh, somebody has figured out where her daughter is. And the mother is going to protect her. Uh I mean, I don't know. J-Lo, I just never really bought <laughs> exactly. her as anything. You know, I mean, i just really not buying this. And it sounds kind of trite and tropey. Negative one to four waffles. Tell me what you think. Yeah, I'm around one and a half. I think J-Lo's getting better as an actress. But this is like exactly like you said. It is extremely predictable. I have seen this story five million times yeah. over. That's too bad, but it is. It's up on Netflix right now if you want to watch it. I saw the trailer for it the other day, and I was like, meh. But, uh, you know, your mileage may vary on that. All right, Willie Waffle, wafflemovies.com. We'll see you next week. The Fast and the Furious 10. Oh, my God, 10. I've never watched a Fast and Furious movie. I did watch uh, Hobbs and Shaw, which is a spinoff, which was pretty fun. But maybe it's time to go break down and do that. We'll We'll have to see. All right, folks, we're out of time. We'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. I mean, Fast and Furious 10. How many cars can they blow up, fly, slingshot into space? (laughs) I'm surprised they didn't take off after Elon Musk when he put his... uh, when he put his Tesla in orbit, I'm I'm surprised they didn't rip that off and be like Vin Diesel flying a a, right. a Dodge right. Viper into space or something and dropping it back. To, I mean, it it I mean it. I know at some point people are like, man, their movies are just fun. And I did see Hobbs and Shaw, which was very funny. Yeah. You had to really suspend your disbelief, but it was entertaining. I mean, it was entertaining. What are you thinking you're going to see in this one? Well, you know the funny thing about the series and. and this really truly amazes me they started off not very good like you know one two three is is like abominable but then around four and five the series started getting better by six they were really good and like you said they just started focusing in on the action and you know enough emotion to keep you going and you know they they kind of embraced the campiness and the craziness of it all and they've been running on all cylinders like six seven eight nine and now ten looks absolutely hilarious yeah oh my god you know and 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 the thing that's really going to be great and i'm embarrassed that i can't think of his name right now but aquaman is one of the big villains oh jason momoa yeah yes jason momoa and he just looks like he's having more fun than he's ever had in his entire life in these commercials and these trailers. And I feel like I just want to see it for him. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you just need a good popcorn can't, you know, like a popcorn movie, like a junk, yeah. junk food movie. You know, you, you know, it's a guilty pleasure. And I guess Vin Diesel won't have to work for the rest of his life if he plays his cards right. I mean, because he's he's got these things sewed up. 
Oh yeah, no, he's been a producer on these things and he's been making money hand over fist and you know, hopefully he's not playing a lot of cards because you know that's how you lose your money. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Let's, exactly. Let's, let's root for him there. <laughs> well, we'll have to see um and really nothing else big. I mean, it's summer, but I don't see a lot of big movies coming out Memorial Day. I mean, what what are we... Well, Memorial Day is going to be the the live action Little Mermaid from Disney. They're they're going to put everything into that. Um, and then, you know, a couple weeks after that, you've got uh, Disney's big uh, uh, cartoon movie, Elemental, uh, which which looks pretty good. Uh, so it's going to start kicking in. And then, you know, by, by the time we get towards the uh, end of June, we're talking about uh, Indiana Jones. I'm, yeah. I have mixed feelings about that. I'll be honest with you. I do, too. Yeah, I got some I mixed feelings. Too. I'm just not sure. Um, well, and I still think the, the movie that's going to steal the summer, uh, you know, Mission Impossible. Yeah. It just looks absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Well, it's, it really looks good. That's another movie that I mean, they're actually much better than the the Fast and yeah. Furious movies, but I mean, it's it they're good. They are good. Again, same thing, Tom Cruise a little bit of a wackadoo, but boy, he can act in some he can give you that steely-eyed glint and really he, give you the he movies. He is the king of action movies. Yeah, absolutely. He is the king of action movies. Yeah. Uh my pick for the week um for you Star Wars fans is Bad Batch on Disney Plus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a cartoon, but just like the Clone Wars, it's kind of more of an adult thing, and it's pretty darn good. I mean, it's 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 a lot of fun. It, it's good to jump back into that. So um, that's been my pick this week as I finished watching both seasons. So, all right. Well, Willie, I'll see you next week, my friend. All right. We'll talk to you then. All right, folks. We're out of time. We will see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Be safe, be kind, love one another, live well.
we've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. The Michael Duke Show.